began to sleep by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. Hello, I'm Archibald T. Pennysworth, and these are truth stories. Now today's story is a dirty story. Now put your mind a little together, young man. You too, old man, you should be ashamed. No, today's tale is not a ribald tale of whippersnaps and whisker kisses. Today's story is a story about dirt, soil. So please, sit back, relax. Don't relax so much you fall asleep in church, you heathen. Stay awake, stay alert, and do enjoy today's truth story. kicking off a series called Truth Stories, where we're going to spend the next seven weeks going through just some of, some of Jesus, not going to cover all of them, but some of Jesus' parables. These stories that he communicated and that he used so that we could understand the truth of the kingdom and the truth of who he is and what he's come to do in our lives in a deeper way. So I want to just ask you to go ahead and get your Get your notes open. Uh, if you follow along in the U version, you can track along with us there. And, and this is kind of our opening concept that we want to really be aware of, that God <clears throat> has invited us to be transformed by the truth of his love for us. And one of the ways that this tr truth is revealed is through the stories that Jesus used in his teaching. He wanted to communicate to us. Jesus is, was the master communicator. And here is this thing that do, just doesn't jive with all of our normal sensibilities. Humanity throughout the ages has had some sort of religious expression where there's not an awareness of the God of the universe. There is this place where something rises up. And typically, instead of having an understanding that we've been made in the image of God, man-made religion makes God in the image of man. And there's always this place where these, where these other religions, where they paint God in this concept of him being angry, him being vengeful, him being out to get you, him being hard to please, him being all of these difficult things. And then Jesus was coming with this concept that God is love, that God was going to do things on our behalf, that it wasn't going to be about all that we were going to be able to do for him, but all that he was going to do for us. It completely turned everything upside down, and it was so difficult for people of his day and, honestly, people of our day to get it through our heads. We, can, we have this thing within us that we want to know, God, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? How can I jump through these two different hoops? And God says, what I want you to do is get how much I love you. That's what I want you to get. And this is when Jesus came to teach. He came to teach in such a way that we would get it. That we would have this place of understanding. I have not written books. There are books I would like to write. I have titles. I have started a book. I have not finished a book. In fact, I am. I have. I would have my doctorate already if I would just finish my book. 
And so I've done all my schooling for my doctorate, and I've just not finished my dissertation. I'm well into it, and I've just, I've just not finished it. And, uh, but with these different books and writing things that have been on my heart for years, and at some point it'll take place, um, then I wanted to be able to, that if I was going to write one book in my life, then I wanted that one book to, and so far I've done it, to be able to be an expression, not of ideas, not of concepts, not of knowledge, but I wanted my one book to be an expression of love. And years ago, then I had to be real sneaky about it, that I wrote a book. That there's one copy in the whole world, right here, nice hardbound, all that professionally printed, legit book. And my book is called When a Brand Loves a Cutie. <laughs> and it is a personal book, and no, you cannot have a copy of it. You can't read it either. It is a book from my heart to her heart. And in this book, there are stories about when we met, there are stories about me just, just noticing her in the day and her not even noticing that I noticed. That there were these places where my love, my heart was just full of love and she was just taking care of the kids and just doing things. It wasn't about this moment of just grasping hands and staring deeply into each other's eyes. That there is this part where moments where I just loved her just because I loved her. And in this, there's also these other places where I talk about dreams and whatnot for our future together. I remember things that we've done together and celebrate what life means in that moment. That with that, that is all that it was. There was nothing more to it than simply, simply an expression of love. And that these stories and these remembrances and these noticings and all of these different things were all pinned down and put down to paper so that she could have them and see them and go back to these moments and simply for one purpose and one purpose alone to know that I love her and that is it folks so many times we can take the Bible and we can turn it into so many other things we can try to look at this she does not look at this and I didn't give her a manual of how to make me a happy husband that would have got thrown in the trash <laughs> I did not make her a manual of what my expectations of her were. Uh, I didn't make a list of if our marriage is going to go the distance, well, you better do all of this and I'm going to do all this and all that. No. No. So many times we can take our Bibles and we can go to them and we can begin to, to look at them in a totally wrong way. And we put this lens on there, and we're like, well, what is God demanding of me today? What did I do wrong today? If she wanted to get real weird about this, she could go back and read some of these stories and, and go, oh, well, that we, that, I, I haven't done that little thing in a while, and oh, I'm, I'm sure he's mad at me. Oh, I'm sure he's upset with me. No. No, that's not what this was about at all. When we go to the scriptures, when we go to see what God has to, 
have for us, we need to have the lens of the fact that God from day one forward has been communicating his deep abiding passion and love for us. We go to there with anything else, we are going to completely miss what this is about. See John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32. It says, even as he spoke, this is Jesus spoke, many believed in him. They listened to what he had to say and believed his words. And to the Jews who had believed on him, which is where Jesus is focus of his ministry was, was to the, the nation of Israel. They had been the ones given the signpost of what Messiah was going to look like. They were the ones who had been given the heads up that Messiah was going to show up, that a Savior was going to show up. So he's introduced to them first. And he says, if you hold to my teachings, if you hold on to it, you, you grab a hold of it, you, you hold it dear, and, and you make it your own, then you're really my disciples. That's how you learn. Is when you begin to, to take some ownership and you begin to allow it to be yours. It says, then you're going to know the truth. And the truth sets you free. Every time we go to our Bibles, every time we go to the love letters and to the things that God's told us. And we try to find out ways to manipulate God and get him to do what we want him to do. We will, when we look at it and try to make it about us figuring out exactly what he's expecting of us so we can make him happy and we, we can earn right standing with him. We have turned it into something it was never, ever meant to be. Instead of knowing the truth and the truth setting us free, somehow we find ourselves being weighed down more and more and more. And fellow believer in Christ, if you have gotten frustrated with your own Bible study because somehow you read the Bible and you walk away frustrated and beat up and feeling like you don't measure up, please, please hear my heart today. That was never what God meant for that to do to me. Never. Never. What I'm asking you to do today is to dare to let the Holy Spirit bring a new lens Bring a new life to the way you go to his word and you begin to study and let it be simply this place where God is loving you and speaking to you and hold on to it and let it be yours. See, this concept of holding on to the teachings, it is this, this <clears throat> that Greek word is minio, and it means to stay or abide or dwell or to make your own. Even, even the way this gets translated to us is if you hold to my teachings, and that means, oh, well, I got to do exactly right, and then I'm your disciple. No, just make it your own. Just let it be yours. Just say, yes, you've spoken this to me. This is life to me, and then we can know the truth, and that truth lets us be genuinely, genuinely free. See, people, the mysteries of God were never meant to evade us. They were meant to invite us. So many times we can begin to look at things and, and see the parables, and we're going to get into a minute where we see what Jesus explains why he spoke in parables. 
And at first blush, if you, you, you look at it initially, you're going to think that this has been done to keep us at a distance. That somehow Jesus has put the truth in this little mysterious thing and now we can't really get it. But that's not really, that's not really the case at all. See, one of the things that I enjoy doing is I put some poetry in here and, and some of the other stories and some of these things, but I also put just some puzzles and some riddles and that kind of stuff that was just fun. Gave it to our anniversary. We got married on New Year's Eve, so then her first day of reading got to be January 1. So one of the fun things that I got to do was that on day 21 that I had planned out a little treasure hunt in our house, and I had to put the first clue in a place that I knew she would never, ever, ever go. Well, a mom of five children pretty much has to go everywhere in the house. There's something somebody pulled out and it has to be put back up. It ha they have to go everywhere in the house. But I knew one place she would not go, and that's the attic. That Judy was not. She hates insulation. I, she, I bet she's getting creepy crawly skin right now just thinking about it. And so I was like, she is not going to go in the attic. So on day 21, then I did a little jumble and messed up the, all the words and flipped them all around and gave her the little fill in the blank dots and made her where she had to unjumble the words and then put them in the right order and, and gave her the clues. And it wasn't overly witty. It just simply said, where the white stuff keeps us warm. It was blown in insulation. And so and then she was able to figure that out and go there and get her first clue. But when you first look at it, and you look at day 21, and you see it, it, it makes no sense. It looks cryptic. It looks like it's, been, like it's been something that's been hidden. When really the whole point of it was to invite her in to this moment of discovery and fun and all of these different things. In fact, if you were to see this sentence for some reason... Just enough stuff usually slip slides around a van every shipment. First of all, you'd say that's terrible grammar. <laughs> but as soon as I'll tell you, and you understand kind of where we're going, as soon as I tell you there, that's, that's a code, that's a message. Well, then all of a sudden, we begin to care. Now, all of a sudden, it's exciting. Now, all of a sudden, the fact that it made it just a little bit mysterious, what does it do to our human nature? It fires it up. It invites us in. It entices us to come and to pursue. And then, like I said, I wasn't super witty. I didn't make it hard on us. Just first letter, J-E-S-U-S-S-A-V-E-S. -S -S. Jesus said it. You go from one thing that maybe doesn't make sense and nobody cares about, but as soon as you find out there's a hidden thing there, now you won't care. Now, all of a sudden, you want to know. And Jesus' parables were designed to do just that. We understand that a parable is a story that teaches something. So the first thing, as soon as we find out that there's a parable, what do we want to know? What does it mean? And guess what's the most important thing that Jesus wants us to get? What it means. What a brilliant way 
to communicate to us. It's brilliant. Tells a story, easy to remember. Most of these parables, we may not know them. We may not know them exactly word for word that we could do, but we could tell the parable in our own and be able to still walk away with it. If you've been around the Bible any length of time, you've got them. You've got these pocket truths you can retell at any moment and think on them. You're absolutely brilliant. This moment where God recognizes how we're made and, and he begins to play to our nature. What I want to do is spend a little bit of time, and we're not going to completely drive this down. We're going to get into the big concept of the parable of the sower, or the parable of the seed, or the parable of the dirt, whatever your translation titles it at the top. And we're looking at Mark's version of this. We're in Mark chapter 4, verses 2. Through nine, it says, and he, that's Jesus, taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen. Opens up with that one simple command. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. And all of a sudden, we have an idea that this farmer isn't very good. His aim is terrible. He's chunking it on the unplowed ground. He's chunking it on the, the pavement. And the birds came and they ate it up. There, there we go. It's just seeds that just all of a sudden just took care of the birdies. And then some seed fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did <clears throat> so that they did not bear grain. In verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. And it came up and it grew. And it produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's this farmer throwing the seed out. Some of it lands in a in terrible spot, has no hope. Some of it looks pretty good, pretty quick, and then doesn't last. Some of it grows and looks like it's got a chance and then this, all the stuff's choking out its fruitfulness, but some of it, some of that stuff grows and it produces exactly what it's supposed to do. See, the parables are beautiful examples of God helping us to know him better so that we can trust him more. And I can't tell you how many times I've read through this parable. I've taught this parable, drilled down deep on it multiple times. You could turn this parable an entire series and look at each one of the soils and break each one of these things down. But I, what I can tell you is that in 21 years of ministry, until I was studying it this time around, I had not given verse 9 the weight that verse 9 should have. See, it always kind of come across, you know, that there is this, this thing, just Jesus is teaching, and then he throws this little thing at the end. 
Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, let's, let's let that happen. And then it finally dawned on me as I'm reading this for the kajillion time, studying it for the kajillion time. Verse 9 is not just this little admonition to sit there and say, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9 is the punchline to the whole thing. Verse 9 is what the whole parable is about. Have ears to hear. Have ears to hear. You're like, well, wh what else would I have ears for? I don't know. I grew up knew, knowing that my ears weren't always working just right. My dad sometimes would ask me, Brand, are your ears clogged? Sorry, I'm daydreaming. Supposed to be helping dad do something. I'm drifting off into la-la land. My ears worked. He was talking. But my heart wasn't to listen to what he had to say. One moment of, rec of, of awakening I had, I, was, I can zone out like the best of them. And uh, my family will tell you that fast. And Brooklyn <laughs> was about two years old, and I was watching TV, and I was just watching. I mean, I just zoned in. I was gone. Brooklyn's standing on the couch right next to me. She's playing, and she's talking along, and I'm just clueless. And all of a sudden, I just like almost get whiplash. Her little hands grab my face and yank it over to hers and says, and the next, all I know is I'm watching TV, and the next thing I know, I'm looking right in her face, and she's saying, Daddy, listen to me! <laughs> <laughs> yes, baby girl, I'm so sorry. Apparently, um, there's something important my two-year-old needed to tell me. Just because we're in an environment where something's being said or something's being talked about, we do it all the time. We are amazing at being able to focus. And there's some of you nosy people you go out to dinner, and you can hone in on a conversation three booths away. <laughs> and all sorts of stuff is happening all around you. It's nosy. It is nosy. It's nosy. Defending herself. I forget about those moments. And one time, Nat, Nat and Kim and I are our, our worship leader who's gone this week. And Kim, we were at a restaurant here, and we we're, were having a great discussion about the things of God, and... You know, we're in a booth, the uh, sides are really tall, and, you know, we're just talking. We're not talking loud. And then all of a sudden, the people from the next booth come over and say, man, we just thoroughly enjoyed y'all's whole conversation. That was so fun. <laughs> man, you just bring some real light to the, to the things. Have you thought about this? I'm like, Woo. Wow, I didn't realize we somebody was listening in. You know, I thought it was awesome and creepy. <laughs> it was weird. But we have this incredible ability to focus. We have, have ears to hear, let him hear. And here is what I think is just amazing. It's here that Jesus, God in the flesh, creates and says something amazing. He says, let him hear. If you have ears to hear, let him hear. This is the same creative words, creative phrases that we go back to Genesis that God spoke. Jesus, God, in Genesis 1, says, let there be light. And what happened? Light came. It says, let there be a separation of the waters. Let dry ground appear. 
Let the land produce vegetation. Let the water team with living creatures. Let the land produce living creatures. Let us make man in our image. This was this thing that released the power of God for this thing to come into existence and to happen. What Jesus is saying here is if you will dare to have a heart open, you will live. You will. You don't have to dig. You don't have to hope. You don't have to pry to understand. You just have a heart open to the things of God, and you will understand it. He will bring it about. Paul's desire was this very thing to the Christ followers in Ephesus. Ephesians 1. I love this passage of Scripture. Verse 17, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You've been around Celebration Church any length of time. You know this is pinnacle to us when we may know him better and trust him more. Verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of a glorious inheritance in the holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Mark chapter 9, I mean chapter 4 keeps going to verse 9. And we switch translations. And I switch because I want us to read this in the message because I feel like that Eugene Peterson really gets the heart of what Jesus is saying. Verse 9 is a recap of what we had already read. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, are you listening to this? Really listening. And then when they were off by themselves, those who were close to him, his disciples, along with the twelve, asked about the story. And he told them, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. But those who can't see it yet, everything comes in story, creating readiness nudging them towards receptive insight. These are people who I, whose eyes aren't open, <clears throat> whose eyes are open but don't see a thing, whose ears are open but don't understand a word, who avoid making an about face and getting forgiven. What's the only thing that's required? Just opening your ears, opening your heart, allowing the truth of what he has to say to penetrate Beyond simply your mental ascent and your mental, but to speak to your heart. See, the effectiveness of God's word in our lives depends on the openness of our hearts. Mark 4.13 says, Then Jesus said to them, don't, <clears throat> don't you understand this parable? How then would you understand any parable? It's like, if you don't get this one, if you don't get this parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables. You're like, why is this one so important? Because this parable is about being open to his teachings. And if you're not open to his teachings, the rest of the parables are pointless. It's gibberish. It doesn't make any sense if you're not open to his teaching. But if you're open to what he has to say, then absolutely, the rest of them are going to be able to come alive to you. Mark 4, 14, he says that, and Jesus begins to explain the parable. He says, the farmer sows the word. Those seeds that fell out there, they were God's word. All of a sudden now when we begin to see it, we see the incredible beauty of God's heart. 
He's not sitting there spreading his word simply because they're best ground. If I was a farmer, I'm not wasting any seeds. But man, God just puts it out there. He just puts it out there. It's to be opened up. My heritage is from a bunch of farmers in Lamita, Texas. Cotton farmers. Man, they look at that almanac. Now, I remember as a kid, they would talk about, man, this is supposed to be a bumper crop. We're going to plow up the bar ditches. I'm like, what does that mean? What plow up the bar ditches mean? That means, man, every place we can put a seed, we're going to put a seed. Places we normally don't plant, we're going to plant everything. We're going to yank up the concrete and plow the driveway. I mean, everything's going to grow, and we're going to do that. And they had this expectation. Then all of a sudden, there was this readiness to get the ground opened up. When we understand the power of what God's word is going to do, we open ourselves up. The farmer sows the word. And some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word away that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on the rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. They didn't make it their own, like Jesus told us. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Remember, it's not just trouble or persecution. It's trouble or persecution because of the word. When it's, am I going to hang on to what God has had said, or am I going to let go of it? This, what God has said is being challenged in my life. There's this tension. What God promises there be a challenge. Am I going to hang on to this, or am I going to turn it loose? Because of the word's sake. They turn it loose. They quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. They didn't reject it. They didn't say, I don't want it. They just, all of a sudden, everything else in life begins to trumpet. And it doesn't bring about the fullness of its fruit. And then other seeds. Sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Back in 2008, when Cutie and I and our kids were in a motorhome traveling around the U.S., getting ready to do Celebration Church, <coughs> visiting churches and church leaders, and it was just an amazing time. Amazing time. And we had churches we wanted to attend. Churches of all sorts of denominations, just where disciples were being made. We wanted to go there, where effective ministry was happening. We didn't care what banner hung over it, and if effective ministry happened, we went there and got to learn a lot of things. And it was amazing. We were in different churches every week. Sometimes we were in two to three churches on a given Sunday, depending on the operative services. We could just bounce. And, and um, it was amazing how it was like, man, every time that message was for us. We may be sitting in an auditorium with 5,000 other people or a place with 100 other people. And it was like, man, that message was just for us. We're like, man, it, man, God, he's just leading us. He's just directing us. He's just having us at the right place at the right time. We're choosing the right churches. This is awesome. And, and I believe to a certain degree that was at play. But I, to a greater degree, I believe the hunger that we have when we walked into that place, we weren't sitting there. And going, all right, preacher, entertain me. Wow me. We were like, God, we've got to hear from you. 
God, we're out on this crazy adventure, and we've got to hear from you, and our hearts are so open to what he had to say that all of a sudden, man, God was speaking all over the place. And one of the greatest things that I got to learn as a, just as a believer, much less a minister, was the importance of that hunger and that openness for what God would have to say to us. And all of a sudden, that changes everything. That changes everything. Now, before we wrap this up with this last scripture, I want to remind you that last week we talked about repentance, that the goodness of God, kindness of God draws us to repentance. And if you have the wrong idea of repentance and you think it's that falling on your face, saying, I'm, I'm a sorry worm, God, I did this, this, and that, and please forgive me, please forgive me. We have the wrong idea of repentance. See, really, when you look at that word, that Greek word that's translated repentance, and our culture and Christian culture has turned it into something that it, it was never at its root. And that simply means to change the way you think. That is what the Greek word for repentance means. It means to change the way you think. So now with that in mind, and understanding that God's number one thing for us is that he wants to speak his love to us. Then let's look at the very first words of Jesus that Mark put in his gospel. It's Mark 1.15. Jesus declares, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Change the way you think. And believe the good the good news that God loves you. The good news that Jesus is going to take care of it all. The good news that it's not about what you can do for him, but it's about what he's done for you. The good news that you can be made 100% right with God simply by what Jesus has done. And that frees us to be the new creations God calls us to be the whole time. That is the good news. And when your old ways of thinking are busted and you're still in this other rut, that it's about you and your religious duties and all of these different things that you're going to do for him, you will interpret it wrong. But if you take what Jesus said from a day one of his ministry of repent, change the way you think, and believe what I have to say, because if you don't change the way you think, you won't believe it, because it's too good. The good news is too good. It is too good. We want to try to put something else in it to dumb it down and try to make it okay news. And it's not. It's good news. It's great news. It changes everything. Folks, our bottom line is that our, our receptiveness determines the effectiveness of his work. That's it. I want to encourage you. Spend, when you spend time in the presence of God, when you spend time in the Bible, dare to believe that he's speaking love to you in every moment. Dare to read it with the expectation that God is going to speak to you. That in the best revelation isn't about what I can give to you. The best thing I can do is to coach you to spend time with God and spend time in God's word and let him speak to you. That's the best thing I can do as a pastor. Not explain everything to you. It's man, get you in the trenches and get you spending time with God. <coughs> That's where it becomes alive to you and changes your life. My heart is that we open our hearts to truly knowing God. And when we do, he will continue to reveal himself more and more. He just will.
seed who has ears to hear. Let him hear. At this moment, we want to create a quiet moment. We want to create an opportunity for those who want to simply embrace the beauty of the good news and step over from death to life. Maybe you've already done it. Maybe you've grabbed a hold of it and believed it already in this. And you realize, man, it's not about me trying to be a better Christian. It's about me recognizing that Jesus was perfect on my behalf. And that through the power of his love and the Holy Spirit, I really can be a new creation. Not because I'm trying to earn it from him, but because he's doing it in me. And if that's you this morning and you want to lay hold of that, I want you to just raise your hand. Awesome, awesome. not even about the hand it's about the belief it's about the fact that you've owned it you believe it that he's done it for you awesome awesome I want to give you some words and I want to be a part of your prayer again you've believed and you've stepped over we're just going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving and believers I want you to lift your voices with ease I want you to say heavenly father I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his love for me. That he died. He was buried. And he was resurrected for me. That I'm right with you. And a new creation based on what Jesus did. And I thank you that you're going to change me from the inside out. By the power of your spirit. That was you. Then we have the Hernandez over here and the Atkinsons and the Whitakers over there. Or the Atkinsons over there. Somebody over there. 